This is the Commercial Property Show Australia. Show number two. Typically, commercial investing, you can actually get a commercial property for a hell of a lot cheaper than you can buy a residential property. For example, you could get an office in Melbourne for $150,000. You could buy a full building in Tasmania, for example, for a couple hundred grand. So very low starting point. What is going on, everyone? I'm your host, Andrew Bean, and we are back again with an absolutely killer show for you. Chris Lang explains how to beat the developers and the government at their own sneaky little game. James Dawson breaks down the barriers of entry costs for commercial property. Jay Anderson drops by and shares how he mitigates risk for his clients and in his own personal portfolio. And from farmer to storage sheds to small shopping centers, Desley Ritter shares how she is using commercial property to fund her retirement, and she is the next Everyday Investor on Fire! Chris Lang, the seven-time best-selling author and founder of the Property Edge Australia, is back again today. Thanks for being back on the show, Chris. Again, it's my pleasure. Chris, when people are looking to purchase commercial property, a lot of investors avoid property that's vacant or about to be vacant due to vacant property incurring GST. What are some creative ways to avoid getting slugged with GST when purchasing vacant commercial property? Well, I don't know about creative, but the issue is with vacant property, it's not readily bankable in as much as that with a residential property, whether it's vacant or it's tenanted, its value doesn't really alter. Whereas with commercial property, the banks are very much reliant upon, if they're going to lend, that you have a solid predictable income from the property. Yep. Now, you know, if we're looking about how do you then go about valuing vacant property, well, there's two ways. You can put him a valuer's hat on here. You can look at do it as, as two components, the la- value of the land and the added value of the building. Or what you could do is, based on rental evidence of similar properties, impute the rental for the property on an annual basis, net of outgoings, and then capitalise that at the appropriate rate, again, for similar property. And then having achieved that, deduct the cost of letting up advertising, letting yep. and so forth. So that's how you would do that. Now, one of the things, and sometimes you have the opportunity to buy off the plan. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, except that, again, you have the same issue of not having an immediate income when you ultimately settle on the property, whether it's in nine or 12 months' time. Yep. So what... I do with my clients is when I act for them is I say to the selling agent, well, look, my client will happily buy it. And I get to look at a lot of these things when they, before they've even turned any sod, started building. And one of the advantages of buying off the plan is your stamp duty is low because you only pay stamp duty on land. And so at that point, there is no building. So you're paying stamp duty on the land only. 
and then there is effectively a development contract which is fulfilled over the period and you pay the, the balance of the money at the end. But the stamp duty is not on the total price, it's only on the land component. So there are advantages there. What I say to the selling agent is I could have four or five clients of mine that would happily buy these units, whether they're strata offices or industrial. If there was an income flow and the selling agent says, well, the developer will give you a six-month rent guarantee. And I say to them, well, really, that's not much value because all the, the developer is doing is increasing the price and then offering a, a six-month bank guarantee. But I still have the problem of it not being bankable. Yeah, they're so, a sneak, aren't they? So, yeah, exactly. So what I, I get them to do is have their client, the developer, provide a three-year pre-lease rent guarantee. It's very now, strong. Well, no, but you see, they only are on the hook until they find a tenant. Oh, okay. Yep, right? of course. So it's a pre-lease. But my client knows on day one they've got a guarantee of three years' rent. So it's a bankable transaction. Now, usually the agents say, oh, you'll find a tenant in three months. I say, that's great. Do that, and your client's off the hook. But it, there's no good taking the selling agent's advice and then finding that in three months' time there is no tenant and all you've got is another three months under the six-month rent guarantee. So this way, the landlord, the vendor, the developer is highly motivated to find a tenant rather than just give a, a rent guarantee and walk away because potentially they are on the hook for three years. So the first thing they do is have their selling agent find tenants for all the properties that they have sold with this three-year pre-lease rent guarantee. Now, what often happens is that it might take six months to find the tenant, but then they enter into another fresh three-year lease. So you end up with three and a half years, effectively, after you've settled. So it seems to work pretty well. Now, you asked the issue of GST. GST is only chargeable on a property that is not earning income at the time you settle. Now, the definition is it is if it is earning income when you settle, it's called what, what's known as a going concern. In other words, it's like a business, and therefore that doesn't attract GST. So if you buy it vacant, it does attract GST. Now, if, if you have, and you might be familiar with a sale and leaseback where the vendor is the owner and agrees to lease the property back. Now, yep. even though there is an arrangement, unless that lease is in place prior to settlement, it's not deemed to be a going concern. So it's important if you've got a sale and leaseback that, and generally the, the owner of the property and the owner of the business are separate entities. So there's no reason why they couldn't enter into a, an ongoing lease a week or two before settlement. And therefore that steps around the issue of having to pay GST. But even if you were to buy a vacant property, let's say funding it wasn't a problem, you could do that. You're going to stick it in your super fund and therefore you weren't going to borrow money. Now, how do you step around GST? Well, what you do is you become registered for GST so that you actually pay it. But when you lodge your first BAS return, you're entitled to claim it back. Oh, yeah. So, so therefore, it only becomes a cash flow issue. Now, if you're not already registered for GST, when you do register, you can opt to change it once. So in other words, what I would do is, given that your greatest instance in GST is on the property itself, on the legal fees, on the mortgage, all that sort of stuff, is generally in the first quarter after you settle. So what you would do is you would 
register for GST to be payable quarterly so that as soon as possible after you've settled, you can claim back all the GST you paid. And then I would opt to pay GST annually because otherwise oh. you're, you're then having to continue to lodge quarterly returns, which is a fiddle and a cost. Yeah. So if you do it quarterly and get your accountant to make the claim and then go annually, that means that even if you are receiving GST from the tenant paying rent and all that sort of stuff and paying it out and whatever, you don't have to make the adjustments in the, and remit the GST until the end of the financial year. And you do that then once a year rather than quarterly. Chris, I think those three ways are absolutely fantastic. And you said they weren't creative, but I, I think they actually are quite creative. They're really, really solid. Well, I mean, it, it, look, it's common sense, but what I find over the years is what's common sense is not necessarily common practice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, Chris, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for being on the show. Where can the listeners go to find out more about you? Well, as I did last time we spoke, I gave a, a link to get at a discount price uh, for a dollar only at a keynote address that I gave to one of Steve McKnight's mega conferences. We had 1,200 delegates and normally it's $67. So I'll make that available again. Fantastic, Chris. Thanks for being on the show. My guest today is Chris Lang. My pleasure. James Dawson, lead educator and creator of the Commercial Property Cashflow Blueprint course, is my guest again today. How are you, James? Great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. No worries. It's great to have you back again. James, investing in commercial property is completely different to residential. It would be a big mistake to jump in without first understanding at least the basics. What are the first steps a budding commercial property investor should take? I think the first thing is to actually, you know, get your head around the idea of investing in commercial by getting some basic knowledge. And as you say, there are, you know, a number of sort of crucial differences between the two methods of investing. And one of the big ones is that commercial property investing is driven by a lease document. So it's a much more sort of emotionless uh, way of investing, which is great. So you need to sort of get your headspace into having no emotion at all involved in the selection of property and looking at deals. Right. And how much money should a newbie investor have before they jump into commercial? Look, typically, you know, that's a great point, actually, because commercial investing, you can actually get a commercial property for a hell of a lot cheaper than you can buy a residential property. For example, you could get an office in Melbourne for $150,000. You could buy a storage shed in Byron Bay, a small storage shed for $80,000. So that's a very low starting point. You know, you could buy a full building in Tasmania, for example, for a couple hundred grand. So you really, probably realistically, I would say to most people, if you want to buy a property in the range, say around $300,000, you really realistically need about $100,000 in equity or cash available. And obviously, the more equity or cash available you have, the more choice you're going to have. So, and therefore the more cash flow as well. So about a hundred thousand dollars and you can get started. But I know people have started with 50 grand and, and have done perfectly well. Excellent. Where can people go to actually find out more about your property course? So the best thing to do is to go to my website, jamesdawsonproperty.com.au. And there's all sorts of links there. And one of the best things to do actually, I think is to have a listen to my webinar. It goes through 
a whole heap of real life examples of, of deals that people have done, course members and other people have done. So that's the best way to demonstrate anything, I reckon, is to have a look at stuff that's actually happened and you can yep. view the numbers and how the deals work from there. Yeah, perfect. All right, mate. Well, James Dawson has been my guest today. Thanks, James. Thank you so much, Andrew. Look forward to chatting soon. At Developer Life, we are always searching for property with development potential. If it's time to sell and you own a commercial or residential property anywhere in Australia that you think has development potential, we want to know about it. We might be able to pay above market prices. You can contact us through our website at www.developalife.com.au or call us on 0410-694-633. Now back to the show. I'm here with expert buyer's agent, property advisor and third generation hotelier, Jay Anderson. How are you, Jay? Yeah, really well. Thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, mate. When you're investing in any type of asset, it comes with a level of risk involved. But there seems to be a common belief or misconception that investing in commercial property carries a greater level of risk than other investments. Is commercial property really as risky as people think? See, commercial property all gets grouped together as commercial property, but there's such a diverse range of different types of commercial property. And there's certainly higher risk types of commercial property that we stay well clear of. Little things like, you know, small shop fronts and stuff like that. So a big thing we do when we're researching and recommending commercial property is looking at risk mitigation. Yep. So if we look at things like location, the tenant demand and longevity in that location and for that asset type, things like market saturation for the tenants industry. That's always an interesting one. So if we have a look at, let's say, a large regional town, all the indicators might be there that this is going to be a good investment, good location for a commercial property. But if there's a market saturation of motel rooms in that town, it's always going to be hard for that business to do well because there's so much competition in that town. So that's some of the the due diligence we need to do when looking at commercial property in order to mitigate some risk. So parts of commercial property, yes, are very risky, but other parts, if you go through the right due diligence, looking at the right type of commercial property in the right location, there's certainly a lot you can do to mitigate risk. Okay. So in your personal portfolio, how do you mitigate risk? You're a third generation hotelier. You've obviously got a lot of experience there. Is it something that you'd try and steer people away from if they don't have the experience in that market? No, not so much steer away. It's just it's very important to really learn and educate yourself about the intricacies of commercial property investing. The biggest mistake I probably see is where successful residential property investors think they can just transition cleanly on their own in, into commercial property. It's a different beast altogether. But within my own portfolio and the, and the types of commercial property that I really like recommending to clients, uh, both accommodation industry, so motels, hotels, and also medical assets. So anything from you know dentist practice, medical centers, pathology labs. And the reason I like uh, both medical and accommodation is you know when we look at say motels to start off with typical lease on a motel is about 30 years wow. tenant pays 100 percent of outgoings in one of my own motels tenant pays our my land tax liability and our insurance on the property as well and if 
worst comes to worst and, and that, that tenant walks away, the bank has a uh, right to right to entry in the property. So, for instance, let's say it's ANZ. ANZ would put managers in the property, continue to run the business until they can on-sell it. We would then looking at probably buying the business back off them. Or worst case, if they leave the keys on the counter and walk out, I can go in there the next day and I've just acquired myself a business. I can run a motel from, from the next day. Yeah. As opposed to if I bought a warehouse and the tenant walked out, I'm stuck with an empty warehouse. Okay. Um, and then with the medical, you know, healthcare and medical, it's a non-discretionary spend for Australians. We do have an aging population, so the, the demand on healthcare is ever growing. These medical properties tend to be very geographically bound. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about the medical centre or the dentist that you went to growing up as a kid, there's a good chance that it's probably still a medical centre or still a dentist practice. So they're very much anchored to their location, much like, let's say, a hairdresser. If a hairdresser picks up and moves two suburbs away, chances are they're going to probably lose about 75% of their client base. So there's yeah. a big impact on that type of business if they pick up and move locations, as opposed to an accounting firm in a large business park. You know, if they pick up and move, there's almost zero impact on their actual clients. Okay. So you don't shy people away from like a single use property. I mean, a hotel is kind of a single use. Medical is pretty much a single use as well. You wouldn't shy away from that? No, no, certainly not. No. As long, as long as the demand is for that property type in that location, all the due diligence stacks up. We like to also look at things with any upside potential or value add. And also having a look at not only the longevity of the business that's in there renting it, but, you know, in terms of market rent, I always like to buy, if we could buy a property where the tenant's paying below market rent, then that's a good anchor securing them down to that location. You know, sometimes can, uh, people can be so driven about chasing strong yield that commercial properties can, can deliver. But if you're buying a property where the tenant, where let's say they've had fixed rent increases of 4% every year. And if you have a look at comparable properties where this business or this tenant could go and lease elsewhere, if they're paying above market rent in your location, well, you know, they are, it's, it is going to get to a point where they realize they could get something better or bigger for the same price or move to something similar and save money in rent. So it's important to understand all of those components of it as well. Yeah, that's actually quite interesting the way you put that because you're almost incentivizing them to find a new location. But if you keep them under market rent, it's giving you that security of anchoring them there, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. So we always want our tenants in commercial property. We always want them to be very successful with their business because the more successful they are, the, the longer they're going to stay in this location. If business is doing really well for them in this location, they're obviously going to want to stay there. They're going to invest money back into the fit out and stuff like that. And they're not going to be looking around to try and move elsewhere whilst we're, you know, getting great yield. Commercial investing is all about trying to hold on to that tenant long term. Yeah. So it's not all about getting the most cash flow, is it? It's about basically you're partnering with the, the business that's in there and it has to be a win-win situation for both parties, doesn't it? Exactly. Is there a minimum lease period you look for? And do you prefer gross leases or net leases? Well, I always look at the net income. So even if it is a gross lease, we'll certainly always just do use the calculations with a buffer yeah. to work out net income. 
I've got a mix of both gross and net leases in my own portfolio. So as long as you understand all the outgoings, factor in any increases or discrepancies or blowouts with forecasted outgoings, as long as you factor all that in, gross leases are fine, but it's very important to work off that calculated net income. Okay. What locations are you targeting for your clients at the moment? So if we go, I guess, capital city, capital city stuff, if we're looking at, you know, stuff like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, it's all around major infrastructure projects, both in planning and construction phase, and then matching the location to the property type as well. So let's say if it was a industrial unit, for example, you know, what is the type of business that is going to be leasing that industrial unit and what are some must-haves and very important things for that type of business. So it might be proximity to motorways or rail or whatever it may be. So it's good to do a bit of market research on people in that type of business to get an understanding of what's very important in terms of location and fit up. But for capital cities, yeah, anything around those major infrastructure projects, fast-growing urban areas, close to transport nodes as well. And then if we move out to the more major regional hubs, my general rule of thumb for regional, uh, minimum population of at least 30,000, and it must have a diverse local economy and a growing economy as well. So no single industry towns, nothing dependent on a single uh, single industry. So I'm trying to get a few names and locations out of you. Can you name, <laughs> name a few locations? <laughs> When it comes down to commercial property, it is so much about the individual property rather than the actual location. So it's too broad. I would be doing you a disservice if I started naming locations because in commercial, it's all about the individual deal, the individual property, the lease that's in place, the business that's in place. You might have two commercial properties in the same suburb. One I wouldn't probably touch with a 20-foot pole and the other one I would jump in at, you know, in a heartbeat. So the location is, whilst it is important, there are so many other factors that we need to consider before we do that. Okay, so I'm not going to get out of you this time, but, <laughs> if, but maybe if you're gonna next twist time. My, if you're going to really twist my arm, I can <laughs> name some major regional hubs. Um, That's all right. You know, you can save it like for later if you Bathurst, want to. Orange, Tamworth, you know, Rockhampton, Toowoomba, any of those major stuff like that. Diverse local economy, larger population. Anything like that in the regional stuff is good. Once we go to capital city, we do start getting a lot more yield compression. So typically that brings in a different type of investor. Okay. And just before we go, is there a minimum cap rate you look for? Not necessarily. Again, it depends on the individual investor, what their goals are, you know, what's, what are they borrowing? You know, is it more of a stronger cash purchase? What are their actual goals? What else do they have in their portfolio? So it's important to understand the individual client's strategy and what they're trying to achieve and then aligning that to the right type of property for me personally in my own portfolio i like the motels minimum net yield i look for is about 8.2 what we do with our motel investing is a little bit different because we typically buy the freehold going concern so we buy the property itself and the business yep and then we uh improve the business over a short term and then on sell a 30-year lease on the business and retain the ownership of the actual property itself very solid and we basically do that to boost the net yield so one of the ones that we completed a few years ago up in tamworth we're now getting a 12.75 percent net yield on a 30-year lease yeah (laughs) 
You can't really go wrong with that. All right, mate. So where can the listeners go to find out more about your services? Yeah, if you just type in J Anderson Property or J Anderson Buyers Agent into Google, I'll be the first one that pops up. Awesome. All right, Jay Anderson has been my guest today. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Bye. Desley Ritter is our everyday investor on fire today. How are you, Desley? I'm great. Thanks very much, Andrew. Excellent. In this segment, I throw rapid-fire questions at everyday investors who are living proof that commercial property is for every Australian and not just the super rich. Are you ready to go? Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. So why did you choose commercial property? Purely the cash flow. Uh, if you look at bank interest or residential property income, it just was not what we were looking for. We did definitely need our money to do better than that. Okay. And were you offsetting a negatively geared portfolio of residential? Not at all. We never, uh, we never actually had any property at all. We were um, ex-farmers. We sold our farm and we had some money to invest. And um, we were looking for a way to get good return. And after talking to a financial advisor and, you know, talking about managed funds and shares, which we didn't really particularly like. I know it works for a lot of people, but it wasn't what we were after. Um, we chose commercial property and, um, and went from there. Fantastic. And where was the farm? Uh, west of Toowoomba, out on the Darling Downs, beautiful part of the world, but um, yeah, in drought for a long, long, long time. So we decided to make a sea change. <laughs> okay. And what were you farming? Uh, just crops. So uh, sorghum, uh, corn and sunflowers. What else were we doing? Cotton, all sorts of just cropping, whatever was uh, you know going to pay that year. <laughs> yeah, wow. So what assets do you currently own? Yeah, well, we've uh, we bought some storage sheds, which are fantastic, and just a small shopping centre. So, wow. yeah. Where is the shopping centre? Look, we've decided to buy in regional towns because the return is a lot better. So yep. if you buy metro, you're looking at a lot lower, you know, between four and possibly six uh, returns. Uh, if you go regional, you can usually get around the 10% return mark, which was sort of what we were after. Yeah, exactly. So what kind of tenancy mix is in there? Okay, so uh, storage sheds, we just have people coming and going. We do have long-term ones there as well, like um, there's the council that are there, some shops who need some extra storage and things like that. And in the little small shopping centre we've got, we've got a nice little cafe, uh, catering, florist, uh, beauty, travel agent, centre care, and also uh, hairdresser. So we've got a bit of a mix there. Yeah, that sounds like a really perfect mix of service where they actually have to go to the shop to actually get that service. That's really, really good. Yeah, destination uh, tenants are really good because um, I know a lot of people are a bit worried about online shopping these days and what that's yeah. what's going to happen there with commercial. But it's really not a big deal if you if you look at where people have to go. You can't get a haircut online. You can't get your car fixed online. There's lots of things that... Um, that you can, and that's all doing your due diligence and when you're looking for the property. Yeah, it's very smart. Are the storage sheds in the vicinity of the shopping centre? No, no, no. We actually um, looked, when we first started looking, we looked all across Australia just to get a bit of a, a snapshot, I would imagine, probably of what's going on. And we've bought our properties in Queensland, North Queensland. So we're very happy with how they're going and uh, managing agents up there are doing a great job. Fantastic. What did you purchase the small shopping centre for? 
We purchased it for 2.3 uh, million. Oh, so, yeah. And what's the net income there? The net income on that one is uh, 260. Okay. What cap rate did you get that at? We got that, I think it was about 11% at the time. Yeah. Wow. Has that compressed at the moment? A little bit. Uh, we have got one vacancy, so that has compressed a little bit now, but we have decided to, it was quite a large vacancy, so we've uh, cut it up into smaller bits and pieces, which is definitely better for these days. Um, big tenancies are good for, you know, people who are doing, uh, who are storing things and like big warehouses and stuff. But as far as shops and things like that these days, they are needing a little bit smaller area. That was 262 square metres. So we've split it all up now. Okay, so you went through a, a strata title process or did you just split it up without actually retitling it? No, we didn't need to retitle it because it was all just in the one area. Um, it was an old real estate agent and it did already have the rooms that were there. So what we've done is we've soundproofed the rooms and put air conditioners in each room and set it all up so we've got serviced offices. Okay, so when you bought the shopping centre, it was a larger space and then you cut it up into smaller shops. So how many extra shops did you end up getting? Yeah, we bought the shopping centre with all those in place. It was just the one tenancy that became oh. vacant. So we've just split that one tenancy up. Right. Yeah, we haven't done okay. anything else with the rest. Yeah. Okay, great. What did you buy the storage sheds for? Yeah, the storage sheds, when we first decided to purchase, we wanted to um, get something that was a little bit smaller just to sort of test the water. So that one was uh, four fifty-five. we got that one for. Okay. And do you run the business as well out of that or is that separate to the actual freehold? Uh, yeah, we own the freehold, um, obviously, and then the managing agent actually takes care of the coming and goings of the tenants there. So, so yeah, both the business and the freehold. Yeah. Oh, wow. So was there much vacancy when you bought that, the storage sheds? There was, actually, and our first managing agent didn't seem to actually be able to get that up. We now have a, a new managing agent. She's absolutely fantastic. We've got – they're all full at the moment, so that's wow. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's great. What kind of period are they leasing for? It all depends. Um, some people are moving, so they only want it for a few months. Uh, we've got some long-term tenants that have been there for year on year on year. Uh, it's also in a bit of an industrial area. So people in the businesses in the area are needing a bit more space. So they've been full-time as well. So um, it really is just a big mixture of, you know, people who are moving all the way through to businesses needing extra space. Yeah, exactly. Did you get a bit of a discount on the property since it had quite a high vacancy when you bought it? Absolutely, yeah. That's in James Dawson's course. He really does really teach you well about how to negotiate. So we actually ended up getting quite a lot um, off that one. I think it was um, it was on the market for just over eight hundred. So yeah, like quite a few hundred thousand off that one. It's all in. It, it had been on the market for quite some time and there was a bit of a dispute between a couple of the owners and our real estate agent up there just said that, you know, uh, that this would be the price that they were willing to sell at. So that's when we that's when we decided to go ahead with that. Oh, great. So that's a pretty good upside right there. But what gave you the confidence to be able to kind of know that you'd be able to lease them up? 
I talk to a lot, I do have a lot of friends now that are in the commercial space and storage sheds being so many tenants, like there's 31 storage sheds there. And knowing that if you did the right advertising and had the right managing agent, that you actually can get that occupancy up to where you need it to be. So it was really just a combination of, of going through what James Dawson did in his program, as well as talking to other friends as well in the commercial space. Okay. And did you check the availability of other storage sheds in the area as well? Absolutely. That's part of the due diligence program. And there are the big boys there as well. And they take different types of people go there, like our small storage sheds, you know, are really for just the mum and dads or the businesses in the area. And there's sort of call for both. So, yeah. So, yeah, we were not worried about that part of it at all. Yeah, great. So just jumping back to the shopping centre, how is the lease look on those properties? What's your shortest lease and longest lease and, and how does that work? Yeah, look, the leases were a bit of a mess when we bought the property. We actually have been to our property lawyer and he's actually done all of the leases up since then. We've got most of them are on three by three by threes which is pretty good. The ones that we've got in our, the one where we split up the tenancy, we've actually got the people in there who are kind of startups, businesses and things like that. Um, We've got them on 12 monthly at the moment just to see how everything's going to go there. Okay. What's your actual total monthly cash flow for both the assets? So we've got about 16,800 net per month at the moment. Wow, Wow, that's really, really good. You must be really happy with that. Yeah, we're stoked. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Have you reached your kind of cash flow goal or are you still shooting for a little bit higher? Yeah, no, we're definitely shooting for a little bit higher with these uh, with these assets, these two assets. I think that once we, we own the sheds, but we, we have got a substantial loan for the shopping centre. So once yep. we do own that, we'll be uh, we'll be close to three hundred thousand a year net. So. Wow. There must be a fair bit of equity in both of these properties. So are you planning another purchase anytime soon? Um, not really, because we are still looking at upsides for both properties. The storage sheds have got hard stand area that we can actually utilise that a little bit more. And uh, we're, still, we're still working in the shopping centre. We've only just finished doing these serviced offices. So we're still working on getting tenants in there and also uh, looking at putting a, a sign out the front, like a, a pylon sign to advertise all of the tenants that are in there. It hasn't got that at this stage. Also looking at solar on the roof. So, oh, okay. um, so until I've got sort of all of that sorted out, I don't think we'll be looking at the, I mean, I'm always looking, but we won't be purchasing just right now. We'll be getting and make the maximum use and the maximum cash flow off the properties we have. And then we'll probably start helping our children get into property. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That'd be great. So with the shopping centre, is the plan to possibly strata title it and then sell down some of the shops in there to just to take down the debt or is it kind of just a, a principal interest kind of payment kind yeah of well, it's, yeah it's actually already strata titled we purchased it that way we don't have any intention of selling any of it off because okay. um we're actually both retired now and we're actually getting the income uh, from these properties to to live on. So we don't want to sell them. We just want to keep them going into our, you know, into our retirement years. Fantastic. And yeah, that's what we're going to be using for our income. 
Yeah, excellent. And have you come across any major problems along the way, like vacancies, equipment breakdowns or damage or anything like that? Um, really, the only issues we've had with storage sheds, we do have an electric gate on the front and we did have to replace the motor. Um, that was probably about it for the sheds and for the and just the one vacancy in the shopping centre that we've had to work on. So but that's been a bit of fun, actually, and it really does make you think outside the box, which um, I think you can, anybody can do these days with commercial property. There's just so much that you can do with it. And it's really just asking, I would walk around and just ask what people need and uh, it was something that did come up so that's why we went that way. Okay what's the one skill or attribute you need to be successful at commercial property? Oh definitely you've definitely got to get some education behind you if you don't really it would be quite easy to choose the wrong property in the wrong place with the wrong tenant if you didn't actually have any education behind you so I would definitely say to learn from somebody who's been doing it for a lot of years. I chose James Dawson. He's been in it for over 40 years and uh, he's been absolutely wonderful. The other thing would be you really need patience, persistence and to have a bit of fun, you know, and not be afraid to go and have a chat to the tenants or don't be afraid to ask questions. Any property, we looked at quite a few properties before we purchased and we would always go and talk to the tenants because they will tell you a lot more about what's happening with the property than the real estate agent either knows or is willing to tell you. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's great. What's the one resource you would recommend on commercial property? Resource for finding them, do you mean? or As in like books, websites, courses, audiobooks, obviously, I'm sure you're going to say James Dawson's course, but um, you could say that. And then is there anything else that you would recommend that you've read or? Yeah, look, I really think that getting out and about and actually looking and talking to people, talking to real estate agents, talking to the tenants, actually, you know, going out there and doing it. You can do so much from behind a computer, but then eventually you do need to get out there and and have a look around and decide, you know, do you want to go industrial? Do you want to go retail? You know, what exactly is it that's going to suit your personality? I know a lot of people that wouldn't buy anything except for industrial. I know other people that wouldn't buy anything except for, you know, offices or or medical centres or whatever. So it really does depend on what you're looking for and what's suiting you at your time in life. If you're in your 20s or 30s, it's definitely a different property than if you're in your 40s, 50s or 60s. So. Okay. All right. Fantastic, Desley. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you for being on fire. (laughs) You're very welcome. You have a good day. You too. Once again, a huge thank you to all my guests today and special thanks to Kevin McLeod from Incompetech for the music. Remember to subscribe, rate and review. You can also find the show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. In the words of Grant Cardone, success is your duty, obligation, and responsibility. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.